teaching part of Jesus' sermon is more or less over, I think, at this point. It came to a head in that golden rule of Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12 that we looked at last week. The rest of Jesus' sermon now moves on from the, the Kingdom Heart teaching as he closes by urging us all now to, to take all this teaching on board. So in these verses we just read, four times Jesus captures for us that there are, there are only two ways in front of us now. There is a way of life and a way of destruction. And the way of life is for Jesus' disciples. And so he's calling us here in this final section to, to be his disciples, because that is the way of life. That's the thrust of this whole section from verse 13 through 27. And I think we need to place that call from Jesus into the wider gospel context of, of you know everything that he teaches us, beyond this, this one sermon that we've been looking at in depth. Because we know how this gospel does end. Jesus dies to pay for our sin, to purchase us into his kingdom with his blood. That's the thrust of the whole gospel that we know. And so Jesus can't be saying here at the end of this Sermon on the Mount that, that we could actually get ourselves into the kingdom of heaven just by following all these teachings, sticking to the right path. That would make superfluous Jesus' death for our sin. Rather, it all fits together the other way around. We become Jesus' disciples by receiving his death on the cross for our sin. And by receiving his death on the cross for our sin, we, we become Jesus' disciples. Disciples. In other words, Jesus' death for us doesn't just save us from something. It saves us into something. You recall from our earlier series, The Christ, where we, where we looked at the bookends of this gospel. You remember that after Jesus rose from the dead, he commissioned his disciples to go and make more disciples teaching them to obey all that he has taught us to do. Matthew 28 and verse 18, to refresh your memory, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We can't ignore that commission, but we must take on board that it came after Jesus had died for our sin. If we receive the atonement Jesus gave for our sin, then so too we must actually want to be changed. So too, as we have now discovered all through this Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus wants us to be changed. Jesus wants us to be changed. When we are born again into his name and, and given this new kingdom heart that we've been thinking about in this uh, teaching of his uh, these past six weeks, we can, we can know for sure that, that his desire for us is that our lives will be changed. Not just someday off in the future sometime when, we, when we're swept up to heaven, but no, to be changed and, and ever more changing right now. He saves us from sin, but not, not to leave us in sin, but to set about transforming us now. This is why he can call us the way that he calls us in this sermon and, and elsewhere in scripture too. He calls us to be his disciples because he saved us that we would be his disciples. 
And so his apostles, therefore, will say in in places like Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we need to be clear as we come to this text today. The call of Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount is not about how to be saved into heaven. The call of this sermon is that we should become Jesus' disciple along the way. That we don't just try to have Jesus as Saviour, but also as Lord and rightful Lord of our life. It's just a natural flow from our salvation. The heart that's filled with the the deepest of gratitude overflows naturally into a love for and and a pursuit of Jesus and, and everything that he calls us to do. So having placed all this now into that wider context of the gospel that saves, Jesus is simply calling us in this passage to pursue his teachings, to to actually be the disciples that he has saved us to be. And that call to pursue runs right the way through this last section, four times, as I say. But I think it's easiest to first see if, if we look at the two bookends around this last section. First of all, in verse 13 and 14, see there that the pursuit that Jesus is putting in front of us. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. There's the two ways. And at the other end of the bookend, uh, at the back end of this section, Jesus frames that pursuit as as what we should do. Uh, We should do as he taught us. Verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. This is the same thing he says through his apostle in in James chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The kingdom heart that Jesus gives his disciples is a heart that listens to everything Jesus has told us and pursues. Not to ignore what he says or to frame our life on anything else, but but to hear Jesus' words and then do. Between those two bookends, Jesus gives us two more versions of the call, reinforcing the utter catastrophe that it would be if we were to live our life the other way. 
Verse 15, he warns us about dangerous people who would try to lead us towards that other dangerous way of destruction. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. We cannot afford to be led astray from Jesus. So he gives us a simple test to be safe. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Notice that these false prophets Jesus warns us about will be cut down and thrown into the fire. We cannot afford to sit in discipleship under them. Notice too that these false and dangerous prophets will seem very good, very good to our eyes and and very Christian to our eyes. They are as sheep to our eyes. We must be very careful to discern these secret wolves so that we won't be led astray and end up in the fire. And so what kind of fruits is Jesus talking about here? What specifically should we be looking for? Well, in the context of this whole section, Jesus' fourfold call here, they will be teaching people to not be disciples of Jesus, to not be concerned about what he has taught us to do, to hear Jesus' words but then not worry about doing what he says. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do as, as our way of life now as his disciples. So, so false teachers would be leading us away from that call, away from hearing and doing what Jesus has asked us to do. And I suggest we should examine them closely in terms of both the life and the teachings of such people in light of that big thing, the discipleship to Jesus. How is their life? How is their life in regard to sitting under Jesus? And what do they tell others to do about sitting under Jesus? These wolves might speak all the Christianese in the world, but if we look into their lives and they don't seem to be following Jesus' teachings themselves, then we've got reason for concern. Because if they had been given a new kingdom heart, born out of the salvation of Jesus' cross applied to their lives, then, then the natural fruit in their life would be discipleship under Jesus. They would be brought into submission to everything he says. They'll wrestle and they'll struggle with that, just like anybody would. But they would be Jesus' disciples, sitting under his word. And if they aren't themselves Jesus' disciples, then even if they can speak all the Christianese in the world, we need to understand that, that they won't be wanting to guide other people's hearts into discipleship under Jesus either. So we should examine too what they teach and tell others. 
Maybe they offer convenient explanations as to how and why we can, we can dispense with Jesus' teachings in our lives. Maybe they have some new or better wisdom and call on us than, than what Jesus has put in front of us to do. Maybe they offer some easier path, some alternative hope, some different teaching to Jesus' way. But Jesus is hammering this one point that any other way but his way leads to certain and catastrophic ruin. This kind of false life and, and false teaching are, are the fruits that grow from a heart that is someplace else than in discipleship to our Lord Jesus. We need to be courageous enough to examine people because Jesus tells us to examine so look in and, and ask the hard questions, even and, and especially of teachers and leaders in the church. Are they on the hard road or are they taking the easy way out? Are they teaching people to sit under Jesus or seeking disciples for themselves? Listen again on this very important point to Jesus' apostles who warned of the same and you'll see these warnings all the way through Scripture. But like Paul, for example, to the young church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. We must be on our guard to be able to discern whether those going around under the name of Jesus Christ are actually his servants. If they are his servants, then they will point everyone to discipleship under Jesus. But if they are ravenous wolves, then they mean to cause his sheep harm. They want that we should minimise Jesus in some way or other, such that we end up instead following them. So hear Jesus' warning and look for their fruit. If I... Or if any of your other pastors or leaders should ever teach you in any way to minimise Jesus, whether it's to minimise his gospel that saves you by his cross, or to minimise his gospel that then transforms the disciples under his word, then do not listen to me or whoever it may be that is minimising Jesus as the Saviour and Lord in their life or in yours. Do not go headlong into the comfortable way. Enter through the narrow gate and sit under Jesus all the way home. And pray for your leaders to be faithful servants of our Lord. In verse 21, Jesus tells us the two ways yet again. This time from the perspective at the end of the journey, when the time comes for us to be welcomed into the full and glorious treasures of heaven. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? 
and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Those are terrifying words. Depart from me. I never knew you. This adds some necessary calibration to the popular view out there in the world that Jesus is, you know, more than anything else, Jesus is a, a super welcoming guy, that he invites everyone in just as they are without him having any need or desire to change them. Hear this calibration from his very own mouth. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is Super inviting. But he wants not only to save, but transform us. He wants to transform us to be more like him. And so he wants us to sit under his teaching. That's what it even is to be his disciple on the path he puts us to heaven. And just as the wolves were right in our midst in the previous paragraph, so too in this next perspective from Jesus, the, the warning is about people right here among us in the church. People who loudly profess Jesus in name, saying, Lord, Lord. And even people who do impressive and miraculous things in his name. We notice that Jesus is not impressed with all that. He never even knew some of those people, he will say at the end. And again, the problem is that these people are not doing what Jesus has called us to do. Rather than being workers of the kind of, you know, kingdom righteousness that he's been putting before us here, these people in the church he didn't even know are workers of lawlessness, he says. They call Jesus Lord, Lord, but they do not obey the good kingdom things he asks his disciples to do. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus captures this warning even more crisply. One little verse, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Jesus is not looking for mighty signs and wonders in his people. Jesus is bringing his people into a kingdom heart pursuit. When people are saved into the heart of the kingdom, their new kingdom hearts will have them sit under Jesus' teachings, not just hearing his words, but learning to do the things he has saved us into to do. When people are sitting under some other lordship while holding up the banner of Jesus' name, they're just nominal. Christians, they do profess, but only in name. They do not do what Jesus says. But at the end of the road, Jesus will say that he never even knew them. So his urge to us here is perfectly clear. There are two ways in front of us, one leading to life and the other into death. And the one unto life is for his disciples. His disciples, those whose renewed kingdom hearts have them sit under his teaching. But for all this clarity and, and being repeated four times in this last section, there's, there's an awful irony in this warning. 
because those false prophets and false teachers actually like to pick out and use Jesus's very words of warning here, particularly verse 21. They use it to wage their deceit on the disciples of Jesus. It's so terribly scary, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That is terrifying words. And those words are easily then isolated and weaponized by false teachers to set up their cause. Try to unhinge people who, who hitherto were just humbly following Jesus and actually had nothing to fear. False teachers deceitfully twist those words to set up their fundamental premise that you and I need something more than being disciples of Jesus if we're to enter the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters, take a deep, peaceful breath. Look at the actual context of this verse right through this whole section of Jesus' sermon. Trusting and obeying Jesus is precisely what the kingdom is all about. We do not need some new teaching, some special wisdom, something that Jesus forgot to say. No. Beware of false teachers who try to unhinge you with this verse. If they would in any way lead you away from faith in and and humble discipleship under the Lord Jesus, then then that verse that they like to weaponize here is actually talking about them. The true path that leads to life is the path Jesus puts people on as his disciples. And so Jesus has actually made an exclusive and and rather grand claim here in this sermon that he is the ultimate teacher under whom we will be discipled, and that he is the judge who decides that we will enter his kingdom of heaven. For example, look again at verse 23 and 24. I will declare, I never knew you. Depart from me. Everyone who hears and does these words of mine It is Jesus we must answer to. And so you and I may be well assured of the heaven he grants if we are Jesus' disciples. Which means we must then be asking difficult questions of our life. Have I actually become Jesus' disciple? Or have I heard all his words and and given good lip service to his name, but, but without yet a new kingdom heart to actually pursue what he calls me to do? And so we then come full circle on on the question that we opened this series with when we first tuned in to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and back in chapter five, and we asked ourselves, who exactly is Jesus talking to here? Who is he pitching this sermon to? Now we must ask, is it me? Recall where we started in chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2. There there were crowds following Jesus, but his disciples came to sit and listen to his teaching. Now here at the end of his sermon in chapter 7 and verse 28 and 29, we see that the crowds have been listening in too. 
Verse 28, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. There is a wider crowd listening in, and they too are amazed. But, but whether any person here on this mountain belongs in the group called disciples, or just part of the wider crowd, well, that's based on what is happening in their heart at the teaching of Jesus. Jesus is actually just defined in those four repeating sections what, what discipleship under him even is. Not just hearing his words, but, but responding to what he says. Discipleship is hearing and doing what the good teacher says. Jesus calls people here to be his disciples. Just as he says later in that Great Commission in chapter 28 that we thought of before, and Jesus came and said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Observe means obey. Kingdom hearts pursue Jesus' way. Not just his sacrifice that pays for our sin uh, to save us from judgment, but, but, but his lordship over our lives through what he has asked us to now do. So the point again that Jesus seems to land on here at the end of this great sermon of his is a question that he wants all of us to ask of our hearts. Is Jesus talking to me? Am I his disciple? People who only pick up the one aspect of Jesus, you know, that he is our saviour who died for our sin, but they fail to pursue his teachings as their Lord, actually end up treating Jesus just as a body to drive nails into. If we think to be saved from our sin by Jesus' blood, but, but don't then actually want to have our heart realigned away from that sin, if we're content enough in the convenient excuse of having it all paid for, then ultimately, if we, if we run that through to its logical conclusion, ultimately we have taken Jesus' death for our sin casually, flippantly, offhandedly for granted. But here's the worst thing about that. If we think Jesus is less than Lord, if we think Jesus is less than Lord, then we lose all the value of the sacrifice he gave. And the gospel itself no longer has power to save. So if we don't take Jesus as our Lord then we actually make him less than the Son of God. We unwittingly take him as that mistaken, you know, overpowered, defeated Jewish rabbi, crucified in some kind of awful tragedy, rather than as a beautiful, divine atonement for our sin. So we actually can't dispense with Jesus as Lord and still try to have him as Saviour. But the good news, my friends, and the truth of the gospel is that Jesus is both. So the gospel of God comes to us in two beautiful parts. We are saved unto good works. 
saved by the blood of our Saviour at the cross, so as to become obedient in discipleship under our Lord. Jesus has given this charge to us four times here at the end, so so let me close our series in line with his words. First of all, let me ask you this. Has Jesus saved you? Has Jesus saved you? Has he given you a new kingdom heart that, that has understood your salvation entirely by the grace of God who paid for our sin himself in Jesus' blood? Has God written that truth on your heart and saved you? We discuss that aspect of the gospel all the time, and we'll come to it again in a moment when we celebrate communion, but, but if you haven't yet received this salvation into the kingdom of heaven, please, I, I invite you, as Jesus does too, Come and talk about that after the service, or at any time. But if, on the other hand, you believe Jesus has saved you, then the question from Jesus' sermon for you is, has he then made you his disciple? Has he now made you his disciple? Are you sitting at his feet now? being discipled under his good and righteous word, to follow him now in the path of life that he's put in front of you to walk? Are you not just hearing what he teaches, but but pursuing this difficult call? Because that is the natural fruit of having been saved. Again, if you want to talk more on that aspect, we're we're always available after the service, or, or at any time, of course. These are pretty big questions. These are ultimate big questions, and we must be asking them of our life. Four times Jesus puts that to us here. Obviously, Jesus wants us to be checking the state of our heart. I hope you've enjoyed thinking through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount over these past half a dozen weeks. We've still got plenty to talk about in our small groups through the week for the rest of the term. And of course, a serious call now that he has given us for the rest of our lives. If you would be counted as one of his kingdom people, then pursue Jesus in all that he calls us to do. And let me pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for this scripture that we've been looking at over recent weeks. Thank you, Jesus, for teaching us these things. They they are very difficult. They are very difficult and beyond our imperfect reach. But help us nevertheless, Lord, to hear what you call us to and learn to do what you say. Be not just our Saviour, but our Lord. We need your spirit in us to to even enable that walk. So so please do be transforming us and, and making us more like you. Father, help us to be gracious with ourselves in that and gracious with one another on this journey, but not at the expense of actually heeding Jesus' good discipleship call in our hearts. May your kingdom come even now. Let it be your will that is done in us on earth, even as it is your will that is done in heaven. 
In Jesus' mighty name we pray all these things. Amen.